Hey friends, welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm a speaker, author, and life coach. Some weeks I share what God is teaching me, and other times I invite a friend to join me on the podcast and we chat about what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Here we go. Welcome back to The Jill Monaco Show. Have you ever been stuck in cycles of behavior you don't like or don't know how to change? Do you have trauma from your past? Maybe you've never heard about how that impacts how you think, believe, or feel even now. Or do you know someone who feels like no one can ever forgive them for all the stuff they've done, that they're too far gone for Jesus to fix? Then this episode is for you. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love bringing you guests who have a heart for teaching freedom. Just when I think I can't find someone more aligned with what I believe or coach, I am proven wrong. My guest today is Jenna Winston. She's a speaker, upcoming author, and prophetic deliverance pastor who was radically saved from mental illness and extreme drug addiction and suicide attempts. Through her radical transformation and inner healing from abuse and trauma, she has a burning passion to lead people into the same freedom, restored identity, and lasting breakthrough. She loves to use her gift as a seer to help people find the root of their issue so they can turn to what God is doing and walk in complete joy and freedom. Before we get to Jenna, I want to ask you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you listen. Is God inviting you into deeper levels of freedom? What part of her story made you feel like she gets me or God is so good and I want to know him in that way? Let's give God permission to talk to us and heal our hearts. The one thing I know for sure is that the love of God will set captives free. If you've ever had pain in your past, If you're hurting now, or if you're fearful of the future, I want you to know that is not how God wants you to live. Of course, Jesus said we will have trouble in this world, but that should not be our normal. We should be living in the victory and seeing the fruit of that in our lives. We'll talk more about how to do those things in this episode. After this podcast, if you feel like you need someone to help you walk through this or get rid of the lies you've believed, get to the root of an issue, or learn to see yourself as God sees you, then please reach out to me for a freedom coaching session. Jenna also offers heartscaping sessions that can help you too. I'll leave all these links in the podcast show notes. Okay, my friends, let's head over and hear from Jenna. Hey, Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. I am so glad that you're here with me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know, I'm excited. You know, so um, I noticed last night that you were having a whole lot of fun in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) I was. I had a blast last night. So you were at the Academy Awards for everyone who's listening to this podcast later. And what I think is so cool is how once people hear your story, like to Mm -hmm. know that how God has redeemed you and put you into different circles to really help people of influence now, right? Yes, yes. It's, yeah, there's so much I don't post because, you know, a lot of what I do is very confidential because we want to protect that privacy for people with the level of counseling. But it just has absolutely blown my mind 
um, the doors that he's opened and the connections that he's made. It's like I've just sat back and watched him build everything. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I love it's it. It's been amazing. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. It's fun too. You know, God can be so fun. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of people that are listening to my podcast know that I bring on friends and people that I know. And I'm so excited for people to hear your story because once they hear where you've been, they will so see how God has been glorified and is glorified in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's everything. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's get to it. If you don't mind, okay. let's dig in. Yeah, no. So yeah. um, people probably are going to want to know what happened to you. Everyone has their story. Everyone has their trauma. But for you, it's been a multitude of things. And I know we won't be able to yeah. cover it all in one podcast because there's so many pieces. So um, so let's help people understand how the enemy set an assignment against you before you were even born. Yeah. So I... My mom got pregnant with me out of wedlock pretty young. I think she was early 20s. And uh, my grandparents freaked out. And I think, you know, she was, I think she's, I'm pretty sure she was still living at home. And my grandparents um, forced her to have an abortion. And so she did. And she had told the, my birth father. Um, and then found out two months pregnant or two months later that she was still pregnant with me. And so there actually had been twins. And then my grandparents wanted her to finish it off. And they literally, as my mom was, um, they were going to be taking her up to Seattle. I had an aunt and uncle that pretty much went and kidnapped her and hit her out in Longview, Washington, um, while she finished her pregnancy with me. And, um, she was a nurse at the time. And so I always knew that. I don't mm. ever remember not knowing that. Mm. But I think that it definitely planted lies. Uh, and also knowing I probably felt a lot of those reject rejections and stresses and stuff while she was pregnant with me. But I just always had this belief that I was a mistake. I wasn't supposed to be here. That being able to have me was a burden. And so I, I can look back now and see that there was lies that I already pre-believed before I even got a chance at life. Yeah. And um, so then um, she had me and then she met my dad. I think they got married when I was 18 months old and then he adopted me when I was four. And um, things got, I don't know how much more you want me to keep going into that, but. No, um, feel free. Yeah. Because you suffered yeah. a bunch of abuse even as yeah. a child then. Yeah. So. The household that my dad grew up in that we spent a lot of time at was full of so much incest, sexual distortion. I endured so much rape and trauma and um, molestation, forced forced from adults, um, incest with siblings, um, just really hardcore stuff. And the kind of stuff that you only see in horror movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then when I was 13, my dad got arrested for molesting me, which in the weirdest way was a crazy dynamic. I look back at it now, and the fact was is that I did obviously didn't know anything about spiritual gifts. I didn't know about people that could feel and see and sense things. But because I had endured violent traumas and my dad wasn't violent, it was actually even more of a mess to try and heal from because I actually knew he hated what he was doing and I could Mm -hmm. sense and feel 
that he felt horrible for what he was doing and wished that he could stop. And so from a very young age, I adopted this idea and belief system of I'm going to work really hard not to make you feel bad for what you're doing, even though you're hurting me, because I'm strong and I can take it. And I ha- I actually had compassion for people that were doing horrible things to me and literally genuinely felt horrible for them and started to pick up emotional responsibility um, to take care of the hearts of people that were hurting me because it was way more important to have them in my life than be abandoned and be alone. And so my mom, even when he went to jail and he got out of jail, um, my mom never left him. In fact, they're still together to this day. And when he got home or when he got out of jail, he wasn't allowed to be in the house for a year. And then when he was allowed to be in the house, he couldn't be at the house alone with me. And that was really inconvenient. And so I got put in a foster home for a year. And even though I had dealt with all of this trauma, we weren't like we had money. We lived in the suburbs. We went to church. I knew about God, the same hands that you know, the same person that taught me some of the most beautiful core values about God that I still stand on today were the same hands that took everything from me. So there was this huge dynamic constantly going on where it absolutely became normal to have so much compassion and understanding for people that were bad. And so anyways, all that to say, then um, even though those things that happened to me, I still had been very sheltered. Um, I really hadn't been exposed to like the world very much. And so then I end up in this foster home and it was, it was pretty intense. A lot of things that I'd never witnessed or experienced before that I didn't even know could be a real thing. But the fact is then the other dynamic that all comes into play. And I think for all girls in some way, shape or form was Because people didn't know, in my family, I'm talking like my grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, whatever, nobody knew, there wasn't counseling for me. Nobody Mm -hmm. did, I I wasn't getting help. Like nobody was doing anything. Nobody knew what to do or even how to have a conversation with me. So people just bought me stuff. So (laughs) I had (laughs) the best clothes I had, you know, back then, you know, we're talking the eighties. And so like I had acid wash guest jeans and all the kids on the planet and, swatches and you know everything that was big name brand at the time yeah I remember this and uh, yeah totally and it's so funny as name brands are still a huge thing in my life because God talks to me so much through them but we went back and realized that in you know at that time I literally partnered with these lies that if I had nice things people would notice that instead of the pain that I'm in mm-hmm. and so Then, so that worked great until I went into foster care. Well, then I go into foster care in the most poverty stricken area ever in little Toledo, Washington. That's maybe 200 students from kindergarten to senior. Oh my gosh. And here I come looking like Miss Hollywood, which is funny given where I live now. But um, at the time, that was not the case. And so then, of course, people automatically assume that. I'm stuck up. I mean, I'm just that. So dealing with rejection and jealousy issues from the kids at school. And so here I am completely separated from my family, literally feel thrown away to make it comfortable for someone who has completely abused me 
living in a house with all these people that don't want to talk to me because I have nice things. Mm. I was so alone, so alone. And then when I got to move back home and I started my uh, freshman year in high school, poured myself into my friends. I had some of the most amazing friends. I actually really loved high school, but it's because I was completely numbing all my pain with um, social life. Mm. And But then something happened and I was only a junior in high school when I turned 18 because I was a year older than everybody. Mm-hmm. And so halfway through my junior year, I turned 18. And on the day of my 18th birthday, I just loaded up my stuff and moved to Oregon and gave my heart to Jesus, went to a church there that I loved, that my some other family members were a part of. And I just, it was kind of like, completely flipping a page in a chapter in a book just kind of like done with the old stepping into the new had my own apartment while I was going to high school <laughs> and it as a junior in high school I had my own apartment and working at McDonald's and going to school I can't and, even imagine like I know like having a it, it sounds like you were such in survival mode that yeah, totally. you just all you knew how to do is survive. And did you yep. did you leave because you didn't want to be in the house with your stepdad that had abused you and and that was uncomfortable? Or what was your thought for leaving? Actually, to be honest, <laughs> this is even more morbid. Um, my mom never saw. This is still kind of raw for me. Mm-hmm. My mom never saw me as a victim. She saw my dad molesting me as him cheating on her. Wow. And it was never out and outspoken, but there was undertone comments that my mom feared that when I turned 18, something was going to happen with me and my dad. And even though that was never spoken, that was the undertone. And I wasn't a part of anything because that just the idea of even being around him back then just made me sick. Yeah. And I just was eliminating all... I couldn't handle any more family drama. I just, I left. Yeah. You know? And I can see why. Same, but yeah, but at the same time, then my mom also decides to leave my dad. And so they were separated actually for a couple of years when I turned 18. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom lived in the same town I did for a little bit, but then she went back. Well, and, and I, I find that amazing that when I'm thinking back to part of the story that you said that when your dad got out of jail and moved back in the house, you were forced to go into foster care. Like, like why yeah. couldn't he just not? I mean, I understand your mom wanted to work out the marriage, but what was the dynamic around that? What was the thought around that? That you always had to leave and not yeah, him. And it's because here's the thing. I can look back now. I think that it's one thing. To, you know, I walk people in counseling, I walk people all the time through breaking off the lies that they're a burden, that they're bad. You know, a lot of people feel that way. They adopt that belief system even when it's not true. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is I look back and my mom, nobody knew what to do with me. And I was acting out. I did have an attitude because I had all this pain. Yeah. You know, I was snotty. I was back talking. And so because nobody knew how to help me, nobody knew what to do with me. My mom's best thing is in my in my family, it's always been if you mess up, your love gets shut off. You get cast aside. You don't get talked to. Um, and so 
it was a lot easier. I look as an adult now, I look back at my mom and that it's always been like my dad's always kind of been her God. And so with me absent out of the picture, it was going to eliminate any, Mm. um, any just, it just made it easier. It just made it easier for them. And you know, the, the sassy back talking teenage drama queen, you know, is out of the house. And so everything goes smoothly because that was the thing. Everything needed to look good. We went to church. We were dressed nice. We had nice things. House was decorated nice, but don't peel back that top layer. And I was, I've always been wired as somebody, not only do I want to peel back the top layer, but I want to get to the roots. And I've been wired this way as far back as I can remember. And when people don't want they're underneath exposed they will eliminate anything that gets in that way and I know that's really harsh words it's really hard to say because I actually love my mom very much and I obviously have tremendous compassion because can you imagine can you imagine being so broken that if a man molests your daughter you actually feel bad about yourself like, yeah. like that's, that, that's some pretty brokenness, you know? Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that over time, the Lord's really shown me that I can't, you know, pick up the emotional responsibility for her. And I did for a long time. And so you move out of the house at 18, mm-hmm. which now makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but how did you, you said you gave your life to the Lord. How did that all happen once you moved out? Did you just start going to church on your own? Well, okay, so there is a church that uh, my aunt and uncle went to my whole life, and we used to go visit them all the time. So I'd gone to that church once or twice a month, um, at least once a month for years since I was like five years old. And so I just started going to that church. And I, uh, I mean, even though I was 18, I got involved in the youth group, and it was actually really good. And I got um, amazing friends that I'm still friends with, you know, but... Um, I, you know, at that point, I think I'd been smoking cigarettes and, you know, doing, you know, little rebellious little things or whatever. I wasn't like into drugs or anything, but, um, I started to build relationships and my youth leaders at the time, they were married and, um, I started to counsel for the first time, reaching out for some counseling myself for what had happened and I more than anything I think I just need somebody to know that I was in so much pain yeah and um I actually started to trust one of the leaders at my church and started to open up a little bit which has always been really hard for me and a couple months after I started that actually caught him sleeping with one of the young girls in our youth group and I just am not somebody that can hold that kind of sin. I can't. I'm not. I lived, I grew up in a home where um, honoring your family well was keeping their secrets. And I'm just not wired that way. And so I actually um, told and the whole church turned on me. I was the broken drama queen. Um, I had a lot of accusations, lost a lot of friends. Um, I ended up... uh, getting sexually assaulted by someone else in my youth group that was a really close friend actually and Mm -hmm. this whole assignment which is crazy now that I'm so involved with the church I can see why the enemy tried so hard to just have me lose my faith 
in leaders in the church. And And this is during high school still. This is, you're still. Yeah, no, I actually started my senior year uh, having my own apartment, going to church. Um, But after the first month of school, I quit because um, the, the guy that had sexually assaulted me was actually in a couple of my classes and I didn't want to get him in trouble even though I mean he did get arrested um he did get in trouble um and he did admit what he had done but when the school year started I didn't want to be an inconvenient I didn't uh-huh. want to cause a ripple and so instead of real you know and they wouldn't move me they wouldn't trade my classes and so instead that's of that's just ridiculous right yeah instead of exposing why I just quit and um, I quit church. I quit school. Um, I just started working, realized I really liked making money. And then that New Year's, um, you know, I was 18. So I met my husband at 18, got married at 19 just a couple months later. We were married six months later. Wow. Um, so, yeah, met Mike at 18, got married at 19, had Anthony at 20 and Dominic at 21. And I just – I really – I really just tried to shut off everything that had happened and build a new life. And I poured myself into being a mom and a wife. And man, I look back now, I was just a baby. Yeah. (laughs) And I made, you know, my kids grew up with worship in the house. You know, back then it was all Michael W. Smith and shout to the Lord, Darlene and all those things. (laughs) Right. And Ron Cannoli gospel going all the time. Right. And, um, I made a really good run at being a good mom and a good wife. And then about the time that I turned 28, the trauma, some of the hardcore traumas were start. It was like my mind started to go through memories of what happened and I couldn't shut it down anymore. Mm. And I had become, and I started to suspect my husband for infidelity, um, which later came out true and you know women's intuition (laughs) yeah so I made I was making myself crazy I already had all these horrific memories popping up and now I'm like checking phones and call logs and driving by his work and becoming that crazy psycho chick trying to catch him in the act you know making myself absolutely crazy and um and I had surgery I passed a kidney stone and then I had to have surgery and I was really naive to medications. I had no knowledge. I mean, I'm sure I was sent home with something after the births of my kids or something, but, um, I don't, I think in my mind, looking back, I think I thought that like pain medicine was basically like a Tylenol that made you tired or something. I really didn't have a knowledge. I'd never experienced like high, a euphoria or a high, Yeah, just groggy, tired. And I happened to one day in the middle of all this crazy where now my parents have moved to the same town from Washington to Oregon. I'm suspecting my husband for cheating. All these memories are popping up. I'm literally snapping at my kids. I'm a bucket of anxiety all the time. And this particular day, I went to the bank to deposit a check. And of course, I didn't recognize it at the time, but through inner healing, like it was so clear what happened. I came home. And I knew I had to take my Percocet and I took it. And then after I took it, I remembered I had taken it before I left to go to the bank. So I took two doses and all of a sudden I had this 
now, honey, that's not okay behavior. And I now know what was, <laughs> it was a euphoria and yeah. all of life was good. And I had all this patience and understanding for my husband and I was sweet and I was soft and gentle. And I remember making the con- con- cognitive or whatever conscious a realization that it was the medication that made me that way. And I now looking back, totally remember saying, I'm a better person on this medicine. Wow. And the second I partnered with that lie, I went full blown, like the next 10 years gone. Um, the first couple of years I was a functioning addict. Um, but within a couple of years, I'm dragging my kids to ERs in the middle of the night, faking and lying for pain. I'm stealing, I'm stealing money. I'm like all like, it became my God. I had an aunt that lived behind me that had bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles because she would get prescribed huge amounts every month and never take them. So I had an ongoing supply for a very long time. And, um, but then it's just like you start, you, your mind is in itself and you start to justify. And sometimes it still makes me cringe just to think the things that, I would allow like just the deceit and the lying and manipulation that I was yeah. operating in. And then the last, I really think that I hit rock bottom probably three years before I actually gave in, but I literally got to that place of being comfortable in my depravity mm. because as long as I was, I mean, I'm on the streets, I'm like literally, you know, by, you know, meeting people in dark alleys to buy pills and, um, no hygiene, had to get my hair cut because it was matted from not wa- being washed for months and having, but so I'm to the point where I'm not even getting high anymore. I'm just avoiding trying, I'm just trying to avoid withdrawal. And so literally going and calling all these different dentists, it was before everybody, you know, this was back before everybody paid attention. <laughs> and, right. you know, I would like hustle to get however much money to go get a tooth pulled so that I could get the pain pills. So, you know, still, still like one of my biggest dreams is to get my teeth fixed because I'm missing more than half of my teeth because of getting them pulled for drugs. And, um, wow. but then I just, one day it was just this constant demise for years and years and years and years and then one day I look back it was so supernatural I don't even know what happened but one day it's not like my husband and I were fighting we've been married 20 plus years he basically watched me drown in addiction for 10 and I kissed him and went to go to Costco to fill a prescription and I don't know what happened. I just walked away from my whole life and never went back and abandoned. Well, I didn't even really own anything at that point. I'd lost homes and cars and all of our things and storage was gone. And, uh, I went down a pretty dark road for about 10 days and the Lord and I often go back and talk about this, but there was this time when Literally, I think the last 10 days before my suicide attempt, I remember laying there on this uh, mattress, literally wholeheartedly believing that every breath that I took was taking away from someone else more deserving. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an ID. I didn't have a birth certificate. I couldn't get a job if I wanted to. Um, I had been in the psych ward at this point 19 times. Sometimes withdrawal would be so bad. I would go out of my mind. Wow. Um, 
I'd been on enough psych meds to, I was on 11 different medications of psychiatric medications for almost 11 years or for 15 years, but 11 medications. And this had all been going on simultaneously. Basically it was a pill to function, a pill to wake up, a pill to go to sleep, a pill to stay a mellow, uh, to not be, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar, schizophrenic. I was diagnosed, uh, PTSD, manic, all the things, the, all that's still in my medical records, years and years and years of psychiatric. And, um, but I literally, I, they pumped 87 Oxycontin out of my stomach trying to take my life. And in the middle of the night, uh, the most beautiful nurse walked in my room and, uh, she said, I am not supposed to do this and I could lose my job But God's been telling me for two hours to come in and tell you that he loves you. And if you look up, he's going to pull you out of this. And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, F God, but I didn't say F. I said the other word. Right. And, um, he, cause that's how angry I was. Yeah. And, but even though that's the words that came out of my mouth, I literally felt something break inside of me and I just started weeping, absolutely weeping. And it was like my mouth opened up and my life fell out. And this person that I never met in my life, I just started dumping everything. Just, it was like I went in reverse from childhood to current, just dumping and dumping and dumping. And I look back now in the spirit and I could just see all of this black sludge just coming out, coming out, coming out. And, um, she, oh my gosh, she was amazing. But anyway, she ended up saying, where's your husband now? And I remember at the time we were in Oregon and my husband was in Washington and I didn't even say what city or I didn't even say Washington. I didn't say where anything. I just said at his cousin's house on the corner of Evergreen and Grand. And she knew who I was talking about. That is and, crazy. And I know. It was so unbelievable. She goes at Wally's and I'm like, and I froze because I didn't want him to know where I was. I was trying to hide. I didn't want him to know I was in the hospital again. And so I literally kicked her out. I got angry and I kicked her out of my room. So at this point, though, when you got out, when you got out, you where did you go? Would you go back to I think I remember hearing. Let me ask. I think you went back to your parents, right? Everybody under the sun was done with me. My children, my everybody was done. I'd burnt every bridge and I ended up having to go back to my parents' house. And, um, at that point, my parents were heavily drinking and which they had never really done that my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I basically joined with them to avoid detox because I didn't want them to know that I was still an addict. Right. And I ended up in a drunken stupor, uh, breaking furniture and glass and just all this crazy and I remember my mom, oh, so horrific. It just blows my mind. Literally, they wanted so much to not make me feel guilty for what I'd done because they were drowning in their own guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my mom steam cleaning my vomit, cracking a joke, singing a song from when I was a kid going, well, so well, you work. Like, let's just get in and clean it up. It's good. Yeah. You know, let's not, let's not face the fact that you just totally were in a drunken stupor and ruined my house, you know? Right. And um, I just remember thinking this is the most pathetic moment of my entire existence. And I sat down, going to read a Twilight book, and I sat down and I said, I'm going to die old and alone in an addict. 
there's no hope for me. I'm unfixable. And when I opened up that book, that woman's business card, which I did not take, which and that book was not with me in Oregon. <laughs> so the nurse, and, just to clarify, yeah. the nurse that had taken a yeah. chance to follow God left you her card yep. and you didn't have the book and you didn't take the card and they both show right. up. Yeah. It shows and up I in your book. I opened up that book and her business card is my bookmark. <laughs> and I knew it was God and I bursted into tears and I said, okay, God, I'm done. And I called her bawling. She had me on a plane, which is funny because I know her. This is not somebody. One, she never answers her phone. The fact that she answered <laughs> her phone was crazy. Two, this is not somebody that would just welcome some random person she met in the psych ward into her home. Like, this was so God-led. It's insane. Yeah. Because that's the first thing I think of. Like, oh, I'm going to let some psych ward person live with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I just watched get all these oxycontin pumped out of their stomach because they tried to commit suicide. Like, right? You know, it, it's not the norm. And so, um, you know, and she's a pastor herself, which is so crazy. It was such a God ordained thing. Wow. And she had me on a train back to Oregon and welcomed me into her home. And I remember thinking for five days. Every morning, I'd be like, Lord, I need to tell her, I need to tell Pastor Rachel that I'm an addict. And then that, at nighttime, I'd be like, Lord, I didn't tell her, I need to tell her. And I would feel guilty for not telling her. And then I would, you know, each day was the same thing. Yeah. And then finally, I was like, Pastor Rachel, I have to tell you something. And she's like, okay, well, I think there's two things that I won't happen or that won't ever happen. One, if you're in love with me. And or if you want to cause family to my or hurt to my family or something like that, like she was just cracking a joke. And um, and I said, I'm an addict. And she goes, duh, I was your nurse. You know, like, the thought that she knew that, like, yeah, it just blew my mind that she knew that and had me in her home and, and so, loved anyways, you anyway. Like knew and the, loved me anyway. Yeah. Knew the worst of you and loved you anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. And so. I literally, it was the most supernatural chain of events, but I landed, you know, I got out of detox. I landed in recovery back in Longview, Washington, which is where my mom hid out to have me. Oh my goodness. Look at God bringing everything full circle. Right. And then I find out that it's called, that Longview is actually called the city of refuge. Isn't that oh crazy? Oh my gosh. So your mom right? goes there for refuge to birth you. Mm -hmm. And now you're going there to get restored. Uh -huh. And now I take ministry students on trips, ministry trips up there all the time. It's so funny. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, so I landed in recovery for a year. I literally was on a mountaintop for a year where no phone, no computers, no, the only book you had was a Bible and a notebook. And yet you did sneak something in. I think this is kind of funny. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I totally was so, I, I had no problem letting go of the drugs. I was so afraid to go off my psych meds, and you couldn't be on your psych meds there. And I smuggled a four-month supply of 11 different medications in my bra. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know how I got that all in there, but I did. <laughs> and um, But I really think that that next morning, it was like 5 a.m. It was still dark, and I remember sitting on the edge of the metal bed, and... I'm holding all of these bottles of medication and I actually felt conviction, not condemnation or guilt, but conviction. And I remember thinking, Lord, 
I mean, because you got to realize, to me, I've been on these meds for 15 years. And so for me to go off of them was insane. Like, I would go so manic. I would have meltdowns. I would, like, confusion and chaos, like, all these things. And and also, I was on medications that you are not supposed to just stop. And I just really want to say to anybody listening to this, don't just stop taking medication. There, you know, it, this just because this was my moment and what the Lord used. I'm not recommending people because what I came off of, you should never do that. Like the withdrawal off of those things is crazy. But this was really a truly a divine moment. But I sat there looking at those medications and I said, "Okay, God, I'm done picking and choosing what parts of me you can have. It's all or nothing." I have to trust you even in this. And I went over to the main house and I told them, you know, that I had, you know, smuggled these in and I dumped them down the garbage disposal. And when they read the labels, they're like, you cannot just stop this. I'm like, no, I'm done. They're like, we need to get you to the hospital. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted to take me in. And I was like, nope. And I really trusted that God was going to something just supernatural came over me and I just was bound and determined I was going to trust him with everything, even the parts that scared me the most. And I really believe that that was my moment of surrender. I never had one withdrawal, not one. Wow. Praise God. Not one. The only thing that happened was it took probably about a week or two to get my natural emotions back. I think Mm. I was kind of numb for a minute, but, um, but I never had a withdrawal. And once you started feeling emotions, what is that like for someone who's numbed all their emotions for so long? What was that transition like? Oh, my. It was awful (laughs) (laughs) because now I'm not high. I'm not on psych meds. I'm actually having to feel the magnitude of all the choices I had made over the last decade. Yeah. All the people I stole from having my kids living in a storage unit because I spent the money on drugs um, my kid taking my son's Christmas present, getting a brand new Xbox and pawning it for drugs. Um, the lying and manipulation, all the people like that dealt with real pain that I would steal their pills, like just all these horrific things. And now the gravity of how horrific of a person I am is hitting me so hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I really believe this next part that I'm going to share with this, I feel like it it pertains to anybody in any aspect of life that's having a hard time letting go of or receiving forgiveness for things. Well, first, let me start with first, I had what I now know to be like a natural deliverance. I think that so much Jesus came in that demons just flew. But I had this moment that to me felt like all of a sudden for the first time ever being connected with rage. And I just was screaming. It was so dramified Hmm. because I'm a firm believer that deliverance is as simple as just exchanging a lie for a truth. But sometimes if you give the enemy the stage, they'll take it. And I just didn't know any better back then. Right. So it was so like exorcist moment. It was so crazy. But um, I remember after screaming and just all the stuff in it coming out for so long, um, I remember being spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted, absolutely exhausted. I like was labor just to breathe. And I remember falling out in complete exhaustion on my bed at the rehab center and 
that's when I first really encountered Jesus. I really, I felt him crawl in that bed with me and play with my hair. And I look back and I don't think I realized that my idea of Jesus back then was just someone that was there to gently remind me of all the things I needed to fix about myself and work on in order to be good enough. And Mm. that's not the Jesus that showed up. The Jesus that showed up, he said, I am so sorry for the things that happened to you that made you not want to feel. And if you Mm -hmm. trust me, I'm going to make every day of the rest of your life better than any day you've ever lived. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what he's done. And, but even with that encounter, I couldn't let go of my guilt. In fact, I think his gentleness towards me made it worse. Now I felt really, really bad because now it's like, I know Jesus is amazing and loves me and I've done all of these horrible things. And so the next two weeks go by and I'm sitting there in a Bible study and I'd never had an open vision before and my eyes were open and I was aware of what was going on in the room, but I literally was in a swimming pool. All of a sudden I was in a swimming pool full of butts, like booties, like butts were floating (laughs) to the top of this water. And I remember thinking, this is so demonic. What is happening? And I look up and I see Jesus standing on the side and he literally kind of gave me one of those gangster nods. And he's like, you like that? And I'm like, this is so awkward. What is happening? But I felt his spirit shift in such tenderness towards me. It was so tender. And he said, Jenna, every day I stand here excited to take your guilt and your shame ready for you to receive my forgiveness, ready to show you that nothing that has ever happened from this point on matters anymore. But every day you come at me with, yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but I pawned my kid's Xbox. Yeah, but I had my kids living in a storage unit. Yeah, but I stole so-and-so's medication. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And he's like, Jenna, you've created yourself quite the pool of butts. (laughs) And I just remember laughing, going, oh, my gosh, Jesus is actually really clever. That's really good. Because he'll often talk to us in ways that we're willing to listen, you know? Yeah. And um, he goes, once and for all, when you get out of this pool, that's it. It's done. Anything and everything that has ever happened in your life up until this moment no longer defines you. You get to get out and walk on new pages that have never been written on. And you know, I sat there for probably 20 more minutes. I couldn't get out of it. I had become Mm. comfortable in my butts. As long as I was in my butts, then it was going to be my radar on what not to do. And it was going to keep me safe and nobody was going to believe in me. Therefore, nobody was going to let me down or I wasn't going to let anybody else down. Yeah. And then Jesus literally looks at me and he says, actually, Jenna, you're actually ready to receive my forgiveness. And you actually know the power of my forgiveness. But you're afraid that if the people you hurt don't see you suffering, that they won't believe you're sorry. I think that's a and real I, thing. I think It is a real I th- thing. I think people also, when they're mad at you, want you to suffer. Yep. Somehow it translates to humility or groveling yep. or mm-hmm. being put in your place. Yeah, absolutely. And so when he said that, he's like, you are trying to prove to everyone that you're sorry. And he's like, I'm asking you to put your face to mine and chase me in complete abandon. And I will turn the hearts of men. At that time, 
there wasn't a family member that would talk to me. And you know that over the years, every single one of those people has been restored to me. Me and my children have the most amazing relationship. And all of them are saved now. Every single one of my siblings, my parents, my kids, everybody saved. Um, And it's not from me going back and fixing anything. It was because they all watched my journey, even if it started on social media, just watching on my journey um, or hearing things. Um, But I never actually went back and tried to fix it myself. Now, of course, did I ask forgiveness for things I'd done? Yes, many times long before. But it wasn't until I, the fruit in my life was exploding because I just kept my face planted to Jesus And the fruit actually spoke for itself. And one by one, they actually more than anything came back and said, I'm so sorry that I was so angry at you. I wasn't, you know, like, like they've all looked so different, but the Lord restored every single one of them. And that's something that I never believed was possible. Yeah, that's so beautiful. You know, you've gone through so many things, so much rejection and abandonment Mm -hmm. and, um, with everything you mentioned, the rape, molestation, the being, you know, church hurt. I mean, I can't imagine like w- somebody that suffers with one of those things could turn away from the Lord. Nevertheless, all of these things. But I also know that whatever we've been freed from, we're free to help others. And so you gain a lot of wisdom in your journey and in your process. And I know a bit more of your story, but I would love for the listeners to to really know what you believe spiritual, like what role does spiritual warfare play in the cycle of all these things happening? Yes. So one of the biggest things that I've learned, because now, you know, that's all that's all been eight years ago. The thing mm-hmm. is, is while I was in recovery, my spiritual gifts exploded and I'm actually a naked eye seer which I didn't know that was, I didn't know there was a name for that, whatever. A lot of people Mm -hmm. see the spirit, but I actually see with the naked eyes. So like demons, spirits, angels, giftings, anointings, callings, like I actually see those with my eyeballs Mm -hmm. and they're real for me. And so a lot of people are like, how are you not afraid? I'm like, I think I just have always, since I encountered Jesus, I've just always been able to filter everything through the goodness of God. And I've always just known the power and authority that God always says that we have. But so often we all want to be convinced of that. What if we actually just believed the authority that we have, you know? Yeah. And um, which is easy to say now, but there was quite a journey in there. Um, But the thing is, is that God's a funny guy because literally having my gifts and being a naked eye seer erupt in a house where I'm living with 30 chicks coming out of drugs and prostitution. That's like boot camp for a profit. Big time. <laughs> oh my gosh, like, I can't that's even. That's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, but you're seeing and, it all. Yeah. And so nobody really knew how to help me. But then all of a sudden, like, I pray for people, demons leave. I pray for people, people get healed. I have conversations with people. They get revelation and their hearts get healed. And so there's a big part of me that actually I think the reason why cycles came around of addiction for so long was that um, I kind of got robbed of the actual program <laughs> <laughs> because I literally now I pretty much was in ministry while I was trying to get recovery. And so not knowing any better, um, my gifts kind of I went from being an my identity being a hardcore addict, a homeless addict to my gifts being my identity. 
right? Well, God can always show up. Our gifts are irrevocable, right? God's always going to make me look amazing, right? Yeah. What I didn't know was I was a daughter, right? right. I, I had not, even though I operated in these crazy spiritual gifts that brought crazy freedom, the day God said to me, I care so much more about your heart than what you can do for the kingdom. Like that yeah. blew my mind. That broke every single religious mindset I ever had because I thought that was the whole point. Like self-sacrifice, do all, you know, kill yourself in ministry 24 hours a day, seven days a week to, because if you can see it and you can help it, then you need to do it. Cause who are you to hide your gifts from anyone type of a thing. Right. And, um, so that kind of blew my mind. Well, there was these amazing workshops, these inner healing workshops that were going on in Oregon after I got out of recovery. And I actually went and lived there and was a part of those. And I had no idea how much God was really um, exposing me to, you know, people that loved in messes, right? Instead of yeah. guilting. Because the recovery place I went through was absolutely amazing and definitely what I needed for the time. But looking back, I'm realizing there was a lot of guilting and shaming into obedience type of a thing. Right. Very religious, um, which it's changed so much since then. But back then, that's what it was. And then I go the extreme opposite. But I still, everybody called me the demon slayer, the dragon slayer. I had this huge identity of, you know, the crazy powerhouse prophet that walks in and wrecks everybody and sets everybody free and, and if, but of course, I went from being this worthless, homeless, lying, conniving person to now everybody wants five minutes with me. Of course, I fell into that. Of right. course, I now I have a worth and a value, right? I pray for people, stuff happens. Now I have a worth and a value. Because the fact is, is my gifts did explode. And I did know, like, my ability and my time alone with the Lord has always been constant. That was never lacking. I've always come from intimacy, but as far as people goes, like I had no idea how to receive love from people or also I didn't know how to receive love from God and, um, or it was easy to receive love from God when I was doing crazy ministry because then I had something to put it under. Yeah, but the you, idea that God would love me without me doing those things is where I did not have that revelation yet. And I and, think that's such an important thing because if yeah. people only only get affirmation for their gifts and not for just being, like you said, a daughter for who they are, but only for the gifts, then we right. will keep performing in order to get love instead of yeah. realizing we already have love. And I think that's where people in ministry that didn't identify it like you did – can go down a dark path. And I think that's why we have so much church hurt because when people yeah. aren't getting the affirmation for their gifts that they feel like they should, or they're manipulating people with their gifts, exactly. then it's not spirit led anymore. It's flesh led. Exactly. Yeah. And see, I really do believe that my ministry was definitely love based and through intimacy, but I definitely this, the, uh, I should, I should say performance almost because it was all right. real. It's just that I didn't know that God would still love me if I wasn't in that place. So yeah. I didn't have boundaries. I didn't know when to say no. I didn't know to take days off and rest and take care of my heart. Like it, I, I yeah. think there was this fear that if I stopped, I was going to lose that level of intimacy I had with the Lord. 
Oh, it's so good. It's a really, yeah. it's a good, um, I keep saying it's so important, but for all of us in ministry, it's definitely, I remember, I've said this on a previous podcast, but the Lord once told me, he said, Jill, everything good you do is going to come from a place of rest. Yep, absolutely. And so when I'm out of rest, I'm almost thankful that yeah. I feel uncomfortable because it's like he's telling me, like, let's let's get back. You and I stop doing so much. Stop doing so much ministry right. because, honestly, he doesn't need us. You know, right. He chooses right. to do stuff through us. But, yeah. Anyway, right. continue yeah. with your your thought. Yeah. So I just um, the Lord uh, called me to uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in the craziest way. I, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know who Bill Johnson was, Chris Valentin was. I didn't know who any of these people were. Um, but my friend Holly had said, hey, do you want to go to the church um, that Jesus Culture came from? And I didn't even know that all the songs we sing at church were Jesus Culture. I, I was so naive. Um, and But I asked her, I said, well, where is it? And she says, in California. And I literally, my response was, I want to get a tan. So we go and... Um, What's funny is we get there and the first day I meet one of the leaders there, one of the pastors there. I didn't know um, really who he was or what he was about, which is actually now one of my best friends who I just spent a year living with him and his wife. And it's just funny how God played that all out because he was the first person I met there. That was Seth Ball. And, um, but, it, but we go there and just for the weekend, we check out the healing rooms and whatnot. We got rocked. It was great. Um, I actually approached Seth and talked to him because um, Holly said he's part of the children's ministry and she was in children's ministry at the time. And so I went to ask him a couple of questions because she was too chicken. And so we laugh now to this day on how we met. But anyways, we go home after that weekend. And now, mind you, I'm buried in full time ministry, like in three different ministries at the time, killing myself in ministry. Don't know it. And Holly calls me and she goes, I had a vision of us with all of our stuff crammed in my Jeep going to Bethel School. And I go, Bethel has a school? And she goes, yeah, School of Supernatural Ministry. And this click happened because here I am totally a freak in my world. Like, I don't know. I have not. I hadn't met anyone like me. I don't know anybody like me. I don't know anybody that sees like me. Like, I'm like an... an I'm the freak of nature around that, that yeah. has no connection or grid, right? Right. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to school with a whole bunch of me's. Oh my word. So to me, the idea of going there was more like, oh my word, I'm going to connect with a whole bunch of people just like me. And over time learned that I was a freak even at Bethel. <laughs> but <laughs> the thing is, is I go there with this crazy huge gifting and identity and anointing and I remember my first year revival pastor when she met me a couple days before school started. She says, oh, I got your number. And I'd never really had anybody read me the way I read others. Mm. And she goes, Jenna, you are like the twin towers. That first tower is your gifting and your anointing. It's huge. It's massive. It's fully founded on God. She goes, but that second is your identity. And it's like you've been building the foundation for a garage. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What the heck does that mean? I'm like, but I could feel it pierce my soul. Like I could tell God was telling me something, but I didn't know what. And I remember driving away from there going, Lord, I have no idea what that means, but I say yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I learned very quickly as the first week of school, the Lord wanted me to lay down my gifting. 
Because the fact is, is I had gifting. I still have gifting and anointing. What I didn't know was that I was a daughter. I didn't know how to just be loved without doing something for it. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know how to not earn heaven through ministry. And also, I didn't know how to know the things that I know in the spirit and not want to change them. I think, it, you know, so many p- people pray and desire to have giftings like that. But when you have giftings like that, I think one of the hardest things is learning how to know the things you know and not do it. Because when the Lord always has a plan. And when you think just because you see it and you know about it, you're the one to bring freedom, that's not always the case. Yeah. And it takes that intimacy with the Lord and sitting with him and knowing his truth and being connected to his heart to know the ebb and flow because the only way that you can fully be used by the Lord is when you are ebbing and flowing with him. Your gifts can reveal a lot of things to you, but that relationship with God is what's going to tell you when to move and when not to. Right. Because I've learned too that sometimes the Lord will show you things that are wrong with people because he trusts you. And he just yeah. wants you to pray for them because right. he's working in their life and he wants them to have help and, you know, connecting with him. But sometimes people don't receive it when it comes from us. They will receive it yeah. best always when they receive it from the Lord, I think. But it's really it's trial and error. I know I, I made some mistakes of that in the beginning, you know, too. And of course, we never do it perfectly. But um, having the wisdom and, and being intimate with the Lord to know when to speak right. and when to yeah. hold back. It's God you said that. One of the things that I definitely want to really express through this is, yes, I have come from trauma. And what I have done to step into the Lord's truth is spend time with him. And I, I spend hours with him every single day. And I ask him multiple times a day, Jesus, what is your truth? What is your truth? What's your truth about me? And I didn't know how to do that. And one of the things that changed my life, and I feel like as I counsel people who question whether they hear God or not, or they do hear things and they don't know if it's God or not, or if it's just their thoughts, this is what the Lord did with me. I... I didn't, you know, my revival pastor, when she was, I can see now, she obviously saw clearly that I only was living in ministry, but not, you know, stepping into who I was as a daughter. And so she's like, I want you to go home. I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to worship. I want you to receive from the Lord. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Right. And so I go home and I remember laying there crickets, total crickets. Mm -hmm. Um, Next night I try again. And I was so frustrated. I was like, or no, not the, it was that same night after like 20, 30 minutes, I was so frustrated from the crickets that I was like, I'm just going to worship a little bit, just a little bit. And I, and I laugh at myself so much now because of all songs. What did I sing? What can I do for you? What can I bring to you? What (laughs) kind of song do you want me to sing? Yeah. Uh, By Jen Johnson. And not knowing the second half of that song is him responding, saying, I don't need you to do a thing, you know? (laughs) Right, right. And and I remember um, one of my best friends, Holly, going, you're not receiving because she's in the other room doing dishes, knowing what I'm trying to accomplish. (laughs) I'm like, shut up. You're dumb. I'm trying trying to do this. I'm so mad. I'm throwing a fit like a toddler. (laughs) And I go to school the next day to my revival pastor. And I'm like, this receiving thing sucks. I don't get it. 
<laughs> all I knew how to do was to pour out. Yeah. Pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out. And um, she goes, well, it's because you believe that you need to worship and get in the presence, ask forgiveness for all of your sins, and remove anything hindering you from feeling God so that you can receive. And I went, yeah. She goes, nope. And I'm like, that's all I've ever known. You know, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and, um, you know, keep your slate clean. And she goes, no, Jenna. She goes, that's more, that's professional intimacy. She's like, your mind cannot comprehend you receiving from God without you doing something first to make it happen. You aligning yourself right, removing all sin, doing all of these things. And I could feel that I was close to having a breakthrough, like understanding, but I wasn't quite there yet. The click wasn't complete yet. And then she got me with my own kids. She goes, how old are your boys right now? And at the time, they were like 18 and 19, I think. And she goes, and my and she knew my oldest was struggling with some drugs himself, you know, you know, trying to come out of numbing his own pain and making some dumb decisions. And she goes, when you see your boys, do you love them? I'm like, yes, those are my babies. She goes, when you see them, do you just run and wrap your arms around them? I'm like, yes. I'm like, oh, my word. She goes, you mean you don't make them stop in front of you and go, okay, mom, this is every single thing I've done wrong since we talked last. And you're <laughs> the best mom ever, the most beautiful mom ever. And I worship the ground you walk on, mom. And then once they've worshipped you enough and told you all their sins, then you'll release your love on them. And I went, oh, my gosh, that is so how I saw God. Because my And then the Lord, later that night I went home, and the Lord really continued to talk to me about, when my boys are making dumb decisions, my ability, because they're my children and I know them, to know that it's coming from a place of hurt, that they're hurting, that they're trying to numb pain, that they're trying to act out, and, and it makes me want to love them more. It makes me want to love them in those areas that are hurting so deeply and, and bring wisdom to them on that and the Lord's like that's how I am with you when you're making dumb decisions that you want to beat yourself up don't separate yourself from me let me love you in those places that are so dark because then you will get empowered out of it with my love instead of pulling yourself away from me because of what you've done and that blew my mind so then that night I go home and I'm trying to receive thing. And I was like, how do I connect with the Lord and not pray or worship first or do something to make it happen? <laughs> and, and do I all the things that you think are supposed to happen totally. first. Yeah. Yeah. How do I just, and I remember I just asked one question and now I probably ask the Lord this question 50 million times a day, every day and have ever since. I just said, Jesus, what's your truth about me? And this, you're my daughter. Mm -hmm. You're so beautiful. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited to tell you how I feel about you. This flood came and I was like, whoa. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so then the next night I did it again. Jesus, what's your truth about me? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. You asked again. I love you. I cherish you. You're so powerful. I'm so, all these things. I'm right. like, whoa. The third night I did it again. And I was like, okay, that's just my thoughts. I'm just thinking up good stuff and saying it's God. Okay. I'm right. just thinking what are good things that I can think of and I'm saying it's God. And what he said to me next was so profound. There's no way that I'm clever enough to come up with that. He says, Jenna, there is not one thought amazing that you can have about yourself that I don't have a million more. So think away because if it's good and it's beautiful, then I'm partnered with it. That's good. What? It's all, like, it's oh that God, God has as many thoughts about us as sand on the seashore. 
right? And stars in the sky. And that question, I love that. I have that in my book. And what I, when I coach people, I say, ask God, what does he love about you? Like you could ask him every day and he would still have a new thing to say to you. So for all those people that are wondering, how do I start to hear God? What a great question just to start with that and just build what you're talking about, relationship. Absolutely. Because we already know how to do repentance. We know how to do praise and thankfulness. We know how to tell him everything we've done wrong. (laughs) Right. But how do we ask him questions? That's, I love, well, people who've been listening to my podcast for a while know that that is the core of freedom coaching is asking God questions and receiving from him. Because once we encounter his love and in the ways that you've explained, that's what sets you free. Because once you believe who God really says you are, then you're like, I believe I can go do this thing. I can. And the doing comes out of being, not vice versa. Right, exactly. And so I just started going after that. And so then I went through this season of, I call it now, I call it choosing God's truth, even though it opposed my own. Because I feel like he would say all these beautiful things about me, but most of them is not how I felt. And so I started saying to him, okay, God, clearly you keep saying I'm beautiful. But how do I get my internal belief systems, how I feel about myself when I look in the mirror, my natural reactions, how do I get everything internally inside of me to line up with what you're saying when it's not how I feel? And so I started going after that. And I just started, I had this thing where, you know, the Lord asked me to go look in the mirror. And I remember I couldn't even do it seriously at first. And I was like, Oh, yeah, you're so beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're breathtaking. Like, I did it so sarcastically at first. And then I remember one day the Lord goes, you think beauty is what the world has taught you a man would be sexually attracted to. The idea that that wasn't the only option blew my mind. I was like, Mm -hmm. wait, isn't that it? We're supposed to be hot and gorgeous so some guy will want us and then we're not alone and we have worth and value. And I didn't even realize that I believed that. And it was through that that I started to realize, even if it's something we believe, even if it's something we've experienced, even if it's something that's been spoken over us, even if it's what our emotions are telling us, if something's not lined up with the character of God and what he's saying, then it's a lie. Yeah. So I started breaking off lies of things that I actually fully believed and felt because I was, and I realized what I was doing was I was forcing my soul to come into alignment with what my spirit knew was right. Our soul is where our hurts and our lies and our traumas and our identity, you know, wants to self-protect, is all in our soul. And it always wants to self-protect, always. It always wants to avoid pain. But our spirit is communing with Jesus all the time. And so when I started to realize that I could force my soul to come into alignment with my spirit, I went after everything. And um, it just became a way of life. Now, the whole time this is going on, I think everybody around me knows all this. <laughs> I think I feel like I'm trying to learn what I feel like everybody around me already knows. Little did I know that the Lord was teaching me tools and that he's had a platform for me all along to be able to, you know, now it just blows my mind. He sits me down in front of world leaders and powerful people in ministry and then now Hollywood and celebrities and government and all of these things that I've learned just from my own journey to turn around and teach these tools so that people, no matter what platform they're on, even if it's Hollywood, if it's the rap industry, if it's government, I don't care if you're the president, 
when people are walking in the fullness of who they are and where God has placed them without lies lined up with his truth, that's everything. I just never dreamed in a million years that I would become the epitome of the scripture. He will take the least of the least to confound the wise. Yeah. What I love about what you said is that when we truly walk in who God has originally created us to be, he will put us into places that will be able we'll be able to help other people get to who they are supposed to be. But he yeah. never starts by saying, "Okay, go to school, take a class." It's always your own personal journey with him yeah. because whatever you have, you give away. So right. if you've got freedom in an area, I mean, we shouldn't really seek our own freedom just so we can help others because that's kind of the wrong motivation. But if we just seek it for ourselves, God will use it eventually. Um, and right. I think I've seen a lot of even I don't know why I'm going in this direction, but a lot of people in ministry even wanting to have the impact without doing the work beforehand. Right. And what you're saying is you never went after being no. in the presence of these people. You went after your own healing and yep. then those other doors started opening. And being in the presence of God, the scripture. Well, I don't think to me it's been very natural. I come from a level of darkness and self-hatred and self-destruction that I hope, you know, I just hope nobody ever lives in that place. And so for me, I can't do anything but seek him first. Yeah. But what does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Right? And then all the, and his righteousness. Him, yeah. So I love, I told the Lord about, maybe about two years ago, I would say. I remember I used to, Oh, wait, hold on. Let me ask the Lord. How do I word this? Okay. Somewhere in this journey, okay, the Lord was showing me because I would go through, I would go through these cycles of just like this heaviness would take me out. And I kind of went into the season where the Lord kind of just plucked me away from my whole life uh, about five years ago. And I had about four months in the middle of nowhere in Colorado where the Lord really brought a lot of things into alignment. And once it all broke and came into alignment, he showed me from the moment I experienced him, my spirit was soaring forward 500 miles a minute. And, you know, often your gifts will open doors that your Mm -hmm. character is not ready for. Right. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting these opportunities and these platforms that internally I just wasn't ready for. And so I would carry this weight and this heaviness. And then through this time in Colorado, that all came into alignment. And I made a covenant with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I will speak on any platform that you give me. I just want my soul to be in alignment with my spirit. I want to all enter the platform together, right? Yeah. And it was just this thing with me and the Lord. And so I feel like every platform has been that way. But my focus, I've never asked for a platform. I've never asked for I mean we all ask for you know favor and acceleration we all ask for the things that God gives us permission to ask for right but I've never gone searching that out what I did was I went more into the place of Lord are you sure am I ready I don't want to buckle I don't want to get up there and buckle okay Lord what is it that you're doing in me internally that I'm going to be able to step on this in complete confidence and not buckle and so I kept going after that going after that well then it got to the point where I felt like the Lord was, would you please stop arguing with me about your platform? (laughs) And I was like, I realized, and I said, okay, Lord, 
Clearly, you have a platform for me. Clearly, you have a plan for my life. Clearly, you plan on doing huge things for me. And I'm going to stop arguing with that. All I ask is that we stay in a place where internally I'm always lined up with that. And so I feel like my time with him, he's my best friend. Yeah. We talk all day. And I can honestly say I've been in a habitational relationship with him for years, not a visitational. Anybody can go to church on Sunday and get God bumps and get wrecked by the Holy Spirit. But what is it like to walk that level of two-way conversation and relationship all day, every day, all the time, whether you're looking for your dustpan or you're getting ready to sit in front of one of the most iconic people in Hollywood? You know, it doesn't matter. I want to do it with him. Yeah. And as long as that stays my focus and seeking his face is my focus. Don't get me wrong. I told him, I said, Lord, all this, I have people tell me all the time, Jenna, I've never seen anybody with more favor on their life. Okay. I get it. You can't explain favor. I don't have an explanation or a defense mechanism for it. Right. But what I told the Lord was, I was like, Lord, I want all these epic things that happen in my life and all this craziness that you are always unfolding and all these amazing trips I get to go on and all these beautiful things I get to do with him. I always want them to be a fruit in my life instead of a reason. Mm. The minute that those things become the goal and my focus or to gain those things, then that's when I need to take a break and take a realignment because I to me, way more than shark diving in Bora Bora and way more than the Oscars, as amazing as that was last night. I don't want to do it without him. Yeah. I don't want ever, I don't ever want that to be the focus. But when you are someone that has come from the level of darkness that I've come from, being in that place and trusting what he says, I'm probably the most confident person that I know, but why? Because everything about me has been choosing to believe what he says about me, not how I feel. That's good. That's say that, say that again. Say that again. That's good. My, I am, the reason I am so confident is because everything about me has completely adopted what he says about me instead of how I feel. If I stayed feeling based on what the world has taught me and what my experiences have been, if that was my filter on how I felt about myself, I would be right back where I started. Yeah. But my journey has been more how to step into the fullness of what God says about me and fully believe him, even if the world around me is saying otherwise. And I feel like I'm so rooted in that. I don't care. There isn't one soul on this planet that could come to me and say, you're ugly, you're fat, you're this, you're that, you're not worth it. That would even shake me because I'm so rooted in his truth. And there was a time that I was taught that that was prideful and arrogant. Yeah. And I'm learning when God actually really started to talk to me about what pride was because he said to me, Jenna, you're so afraid of pride that you won't allow confidence. Mm. And I realized, I didn't realize that I had lies that if, you know, cause now, okay, so I'm going to be 47 in a couple of weeks. 
I can honestly tell you I've never been more aware of who I am, what I carry, where I'm going, how loved I am, able to connect with my heart, powerful in ministry, but more than anything, I'm a daughter. The fact that I can say all of those things growing up and my the what my belief system was before was that those statements made me arrogant and self-absorbed. But the fact is, is every single one of those statements is God's truth about me. So when the Lord said to me, I actually did a, not a podcast, but a live, um, I did a live uh, Facebook thing once. Is your fear of pride keeping you prideful? Well, because so often we fear pride that we want to come under. We want to say that we're less than, we want to act like we're less than. And the Lord's like, when you choose to stay bound to a belief system that isn't lined up with mine, that's your pride because you're actually choosing your belief system over my own. Right. And I was like, oh, whoa. So that I'm going to come in in that false humility and I'm going to say I'm less than and I'm not, oh, really? And not receive a compliment and not be proud of myself. I actually used to resent people that would get, that would show, give me compliments because I felt like if somebody was giving me a compliment, then I was drawing attention to myself. And the Lord really took the time to break down all of these belief systems. And he's like, all of these things that you have believed have been taught to you either by parents or by society or by school, but they were never what I said. And yeah. so going back to the roots of how God meant for it to be, God never said, okay, don't think well of yourself. No, he said, love yourself as your neighbor. Right. So if you know, there are people who struggle with believing what God says about them and they don't even know how to get into it. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, being in a culture of habitation and abiding in his presence and asking him questions. What other things would you say to people that are are really trying to start to learn their identity in Christ so that they can, you know, be who he wants them to be in the way that you've experienced? One, put in the time. People don't want to put in the time. People can feel God flowing through them as they minister to others. But a lot of people don't want to take the time to sit still and let him love us. Sitting there and allowing, have you ever tried to love someone that doesn't want to receive love? It (laughs) sucks. Yeah. Right? It totally sucks. Or someone that you genuinely value and love and think that they're amazing and you can tell that they don't even like themselves at all and all you want to do is tell them how much you love them and how amazing they are and they just can't even hear it. That's how God feels with almost all of us, Mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's how he feels with us because we don't want to. But the fact is sitting under love is one of the hardest things to do for anyone, I think. And it's taking the time and finding out what works for you and that you can't mess up. Yeah. You can't mess up. You can't mess up. And so I actually listen to Graham Cook all the time. He's so good about this subject. Yeah. Because for years I would, I would put him in my headphones and I would listen and I really, all of his stuff I'm thinking brilliantly and the beloved, all of those things, um, are, I really believe what brought, what renewed my mind coming out of the addict mind. You don't just wake up free from that one day and really adopting a lot of that. And what's funny is at the time, now I've been in a movie with him, which is hilarious. I would have never believed that in a million years that I would ever get to meet him and 
whatnot. And um, I met him at Modern Prophet last year. Um, but I would listen to that all the time. And I remember this is this was mind-blowing for me, and I really want people to pay attention to this because we can look at powerful leaders and think, oh, they have something I don't. No, are you kidding me? I remember I had had multiple opportunities where I was going to listen to Graham and something would always happen. And then I was finally at Modern Prophet last year at Angela's Temple and I was going to be able to see him. And because I am a naked eye seer, I just remember I couldn't wait for him to walk out on stage. I wanted to see his angels. I wanted to see what was around him like this. I don't get starstruck, but I have always, you know, he's been my hero because I've listened to him in my ears forever. And when he walked out on stage, God blew my mind because I just knew that I was going to have this lightning has struck. I hit the ground. My whole life makes sense moment. Mm -hmm. And when Graham walked out, I just remember I kind of cocked my head to the side a little bit and I was like, huh, he's just a man. (laughs) And God, I hear God, you know, because Graham has this thing in one of his teachings. I love him because, or I love you because I love you because I love you. And I hear God go, I love him because I love him because I love him because I love him. And then what God said to me changed the trajectory of my thought process. God goes, Jenna, the only difference between Graham and a lot of my children is Graham fully believes that I love him. He goes, but so do you. First, of course, I fangirled and was like, oh, my gosh, God just compared me to Graham Cook. (laughs) But then my next thought was, oh, my word. Mm -hmm. God's love. I mean, we hear this, but really think about it. The amount of God that love has or the amount of love that God has for us is never changing ever. Even when we sin, even when we mess up, even when we're not perfect, even when we're running from him. He always loves us. It's unchanging. But when we allow him, what changes is our capacity to receive it. Yes. And so our biggest battle isn't to be sin-free. Our biggest battle is to be able to fully receive love even when we have sin. Yes. And it takes time. Yeah, it, it takes, takes history. Time. It takes history it of doing it and knowing how he's going to respond. Yep. And, you know, creating that relationship because he feels the same about us, but it's us understanding his character so that we respond to him the same way. Yeah. So like what you said, we're fully in line with our soul and our spirit. I love that. I, yeah. I've i often said, um, th- I've got this phrase that God showed me that when love comes to you, it's cultivated in you and then it's communicated through you. Yep. Absolutely. And that the whole, it all starts with receiving love from God. We often yep. as Christians, you know, hear about growing your, you know, growing intimacy with God and growing your faith, but it's often about how do we love him more? How do I show him I love right. him more? Instead of how do I learn how he really loves me yeah. so that nothing shakes us? Exactly. It's the same in marriages. Vulnerability and transparency creates intimacy, but it has to be given and received. Yeah. When you have that's a marriage good. and you have one person that's pouring out, but the other person can't receive that love, then there's a block and there's a disconnect. It's the same thing with God. God, of course, we love to pour out and we love to show him. I love you. I worship you. I adore you. I give you everything like we do all of those things. But it's really hard for people to learn how to cultivate, Lord, 
let Lord, what's your truth about me? And letting him be like, I love you and telling him how he feels about you. And then a lot of people don't want to do that out of fear of disappointment. They have to fight the belief system. Well, if I make space for the Lord and I sit down and I'm like, Jesus, what's your truth about me? Is he going to show up? Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they'll find their connection to God through what they pour out instead of sitting under it. And what I tell people all the time, I think this is so key. If that's how you feel, then say that. I believe that speaking your words out loud are so powerful. But often we have our inner monologues with God. I actually talk out loud to God all day, every day. But um, I really believe it's important to be like, God, I'm afraid if I sit down and make space for you, you're not going to show up. I'm so afraid Mm -hmm. that I'm going to ask you what's your truth about me and that you're not going to say anything. What if I take and I take an hour every day or 15 minutes every day to sit here and say, God, what are you saying? You know, and you don't show up. The other thing is, is that a lot of times when people come and do a session with me and they're like, well, I just don't hear God like that. I'm like, okay, the first lie you need to break is, and I have them say in the name of Jesus Christ, I break off and renounce the lie that I don't hear God like that. Because even if that's been your experience, you, you fully believe that lie, which is keeping you bound to that. But you break that lie and it opens that spiritual pathway and that connection with God wide open by breaking that lie and breaking the partnership that you believe that he, you don't hear him like that. Cause the fact is, is everyone's capable of hearing him like that. And the fact is anyone who's a believer heard him to be called to, you know, be a believer. Like yep, we've, absolutely. we've all heard him. Um, we just don't recognize it. Um, yeah. because sometimes people haven't, you know, given us permission to do it differently. And, um, I, th- I think what does Graham Cook say? It's not, don't let your history define your destiny. Like, you know, it doesn't, they're not the same thing. They're different. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, your experience is good for up to a certain point, but right. it only got you to where you're at. So if you want to go more, you have to ignore your experience and, and look yep. at other people and, and have faith to believe there's more and ask him for more. Absolutely. Um, but I think so many people have been disappointed um, for prayers that they've prayed. And mm-hmm. I know the one prayer we can pray that is totally in line with God's heart. Well, there's many, but one of them is, God, I want more of you. Will you reveal yourself to me? Yeah. I want to hear you. I want to see you. I want, you know, I'm still asking him for certain things. I believe he wants me to know him more. Forget the gifts and seeing angels or whatever. Like he wants right. me to know him more and receive his love. Um, so he will always answer that prayer. Um, we've had, we've chatted about so many things and, um, (laughs) it's been so good. So I'm going to leave in the show notes, all the different ways that people can get in contact with you. Um, but will you just say for the recording, what is your website address again? It's www.heartscaping.co. Great. Awesome. Oh my gosh, girlfriend, this was such a great conversation. I mostly listened, so it was a great listening time for me (laughs) to hear of your heart for the Lord and all the things He has done in your life. Thank you for sharing your story. It was wonderful. He's amazing. I'm very, very thankful. Yes, we're thankful. It was fun. It was fun to do this with you. Good. I'm glad. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show with Jenna today as much as I did. 
I want to offer you a free gift that will help you continue on the path of freedom. And all you need to do to receive it is to leave a review to the podcast and send a screenshot of it to me on my Instagram. My handle is at Jill Monaco. To hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to the show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed and ready when you are. And if you'd like to help me continue to reach others, you can click on the link in the description and you can give to support the show now. You can find out more about Jenna when you go to jillmonaco.com. Just click on the show notes in this podcast to find all the links we mentioned today. And thanks for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You are made for it.